Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, everyone. I'm Sharice Trump, Associate Director of Coalition Relations at the Heritage Foundation. I'm pleased to welcome you to our webinar today on immigration and border security. Where are we now and what's next? Welcome to those joining us from our Resource Bank Network, our closest friends and allies and conservative leaders. Welcome to also to the members of the public. Our public programs team has a full suite of robust programming, which you can always find at theheritage.org forward slash events website. A few housekeeping notes before we get started. This session is being recorded and will be posted on resourcebank.org within the next 48 hours. All attendees are in listen-only mode. We encourage you to submit your questions. You can do this by using the gray questions box on the right-hand side of your screen. When doing so, please identify yourself and your organization. And finally, please complete the brief survey that will appear on your screen at the conclusion of our program. We value your feedback. I'm pleased to have with us today for today's discussion, the Honorable Ken Cuccinelli, Laura Reese, Hans von Spakovsky, and our moderator, Dr. Jim Carafano. A few words about each of the speakers. Ken Cuccinelli is currently the Acting Deputy Secretary for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. He has served as the Acting Director of U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, where he advanced many of the Trump administration's critical priorities to secure the southern border and identify areas that strengthen the country's legal immigration system. Mr. Cuccinelli serves as a leading spokesman for the department and advocates for the policies that the Trump administration has implemented in the public arena, as well as on Capitol Hill. Laura Reese is a senior research fellow for Homeland Security in the Center for Technology Policy at, here, here at Heritage. She has over 23 years of experience in the immigration and Homeland Security arena. She twice worked at the Department of Homeland Security on immigration policy and operations issues, and most recently as the acting deputy chief of staff. She also worked in the private sector as a Homeland Security and Industry Strategist and in government relations. Hans von Spakovsky is both a manager of Heritage's election law reform initiative and a senior legal fellow in the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at Heritage. He is an authority on a wide range of issues, including civil rights, civil justice, the First Amendment, immigration, the rule of law, and government reform. In addition to the work he has done on election integrity, Hans has published many articles and reports regarding the legal and judicial issues surrounding immigration reform and is one of the leading voices on the issue. Our moderator is Dr. James Carafano, who is the Vice President of the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy here at Heritage. He directs Heritage's team of foreign and defense policy experts in six centers on the front lines of international affairs and immigration policy. His recent research has focused on developing the national security required to secure the long-term interests of the United States, protecting the public, providing for economic growth, and preserving civil liberties. We are pleased to have you all here today. I will now turn the conversation over to Jim Carafano. Well, thanks, um, thanks everybody 
for joining us. It's such an impressive turnout. We're so excited to have you. Um, thanks for the questions. We're already starting to get questions and we hope people will ask lots of questions. Um, I just wanted to say, regardless of all the issues going on in America today, immigration and border security remains one of our premier public policy issues. We look at these kind of events that we do at Resource Bank completely differently than almost every other program that we do. These are really about finding solutions and building dialogue. The last Resource Bank uh, we held, we had a tremendous event on immigration and border security, actually gave birth to a really important project that Hans worked on. I, I hope we can share the link on that research. It was uh, uh, at the, at the, based on the discussion, people wanted to know what can state and local groups do to support good public policy on immigration and border security. We produced some great research that came out of that seminar. That's the spirit that we have here today. And so we have a tremendous team of experts. We'll get right to them. Where are we on immigration and border security? Where are we going? What can we achieve? And uh, to begin with, I'd like to invite the Honorable Ken Cuccinelli to provide some introductory remarks on, on where the administration stands and where it's going forward. And then we'll go to our experts and then we'll bring everyone else in. I appreciate that introduction. Uh, it's good to be with you all at the Heritage Foundation again, uh, as so often is the case. A lot has changed in the last year in the immigration space, thanks to President Trump's leadership. Uh, we've gotten an awful lot done. If you think back to May of last year, you remember we were at the height of the southern border crisis with 144,000 apprehended illegal crossers. just the ones we caught. Well, last month, April, operating under Title 42 authority, and not to get too legally geeky on you, that is a uh, public health authority based on the CDC's order to um, avoid the introduction of people who could uh, add to the COVID-19 problem through our southern border, really through both our borders. And so we have much faster opportunities to repatriate people coming across the Mexican border. To give you an idea, 80 80% southern border who we apprehend now are returned to Mexico Border Patrol and of OFO within the Customs Border Protection led by Commissioner Mark Morgan. They've been doing a spectacular job with a lot of support across the Department of Homeland Security. So that's a major change. Now we are worried about COVID-19 south of the border all the way to South America. We're worried about what it's doing to their economies just like we worry about what it's doing to ours. The difference being when their economies have struggles, their migration, illegal migration to our country expands. So we're watching that very closely and tracking the intelligence in that area as well. Of course, uh, a feature of the, of the president's efforts has been uh, building a beautiful brand new wall and we're closing in on the 200 mile mark. You will recall we passed the 100 mile mark in January. So the the rate of a building has accelerated very dramatically as we've gotten 
uh, farther into the Trump administration of working with the Army Corps of Engineers. We have covered a lot of ground, literally. And I'll tell you what, border of the new wall, they love it. It makes them safer. It makes it easier for them to accomplish their mission. And it genuinely blocks illegal traffic, whether Uh, so it's it's very well received by the men for the rest of this year, thanks to the president's leadership in that area. Uh, we, uh, as part of uh, our response to the crisis last year, we have worked our way, even before COVID-19 and the health order on the border, to end what's called catch and release. We were holding the people we were apprehending by the end of the, the fiscal year 19 and into this year where that was not happening last year. With 144,000 coming across last May, half of them, even more than GDP custody. Um, that was a genuine, uncontrolled invasion. Now, we still have lots every day, still, but now they're overwhelmingly adult male Mexican citizens. Um, we probably have two to 300 that get away every day. Those numbers add up, as you might imagine. But on the regulatory front, one of the things that uh, I hope we're gonna see is putting in place firmer bars to the ability of people who cross illegally to work in this country. Um, we, we, we treat people who come in illegally um, as the same as everybody else, and they're not. And we've been working to change that in the Trump administration. Uh, one of the ways we've ended catch and release is through partnership, really, with Mexico for the MPP program, the Migrant Protection Protocols Program. What this does is, again, aside from the public health order that we're enforcing right now, but before that, this is how we got rid of catch and release. You'll remember last spring, not two months ago, but a year and two months ago, when the president was being very tough with Mexico, talking about tariffs and shutting down the border, uh, as well as the northern. And a lot of people on both sides of the aisle were criticizing the president for being so tough. But the fruit of that discussion was that Mexico became the. illegal immigration that they've ever been and the MPP program retained in the United States or worse what was happening last year be released into the United States with the hopes that they would show up for their hearings needless to say many of them don't um, and the MPP program has been a wild success with about 60,000 people uh, waiting in MPP and these are overwhelmingly uh, from El Salvador Guatemala Honduras and Mexico's been a great partner in this, even while they've been bolstering their own southern border defenses against illegal immigration. One of the things you haven't seen, funny, is caravans. Um, 
again, part of this is because of COVID, but earlier than that, they were breaking up because Mexico, the United States, and the Northern Triangle countries had begun putting tools in place to impede those caravans, organized illegal invasions, and we have put largely a stop to them. Under COVID-19, we have mutually agreed travel restrictions with Mexico and Canada. Um, uh, these are, they limit travel to only essential economic travel. So we keep the trade flowing with our two largest trading partners, but we reduce all of the other traffic dramatically by two thirds or more. And that has really helped us keep control of the board. on the line to interdict illegal crossers uh, and returning people in, in about two hours. And with no vaccine in sight for a while, it seems like this is gonna be the order of the day for a while. So it's gonna be very important to make sure that uh, we have the resources we need in CBP and in ICE to continue this process, but also the legal authority that we need under Title 42 to continue this process. We have all the usual judicial challenges. You see judges try to get in the way of what we're doing all the time. But when these cases get fought out, the Trump administration wins because heritage. Any day now, uh, we are prepared to implement that. We are fully expect to win that case, which will mean that the president's wind down of DACA can take place. Um, the other thing is you've heard about green light laws and sanctuary cities. Uh, we have already taken some actions with New York State that has gone farther than anyone else to block our immigration law enforcement in that state. And uh, we are looking at all sorts of other alternatives we can do there, stay tuned. Um, until they reopen the information flow, things like plates, those sorts of things, very Pennsylvania plane fighting through your own get taken down by some heroes and then 9-11 the twin towers were hit and one of the things we learned sort of looking back after the fact was that government wasn't sharing law enforcement information readily enough and here we have the state of new york intentionally cutting off exactly that information the irony is incredible and we're doing everything we can at the department of homeland security to overcome it. So that's where things stand now. It's some of our current battles uh, with New York and some other states that are trying to bar us from information so we can't do our job. But uh, Jim, I'm gonna hand it on back to you and thank you all for having me with you. Well, thanks. That was a really impressive update. Let me ask Laura and Hans to join us. And if Laura can maybe give a short update and assessment of where we are on border security and maybe some of the things that Heritage is working on in that area. And then Hans, if you want to join us and if maybe you could talk about immigration policies 
what our ongoing research and priorities are and what are the issues that we're looking at. So Laura and then Hans, and then we'll bring the secretary back in and we'll, uh, we'll go right to questions. And thank you, we've got lots of questions. We can never have enough of them, so please keep, keep asking them. Go ahead, Laura. Thanks, Jim, and uh, thanks, Deputy Secretary Cuccinelli. So a couple uh, issues that uh, I'll be speaking on have to do with the COVID-19 uh, from the economic recovery aspect, and then one point on DACA. So with respect to economic recovery, uh, given the sudden and the drastic downturn that we've experienced, it's a priority to get Americans back to work, uh, but we need to carefully consider immigration policies to make sure we're not overly restricting our recovery, and, and it's a difficult balance. Um, so one step the administration has taken is, is worth following and watching, and that is uh, to combat Chinese tactics for stealing research uh, and intellectual property from the U.S. Ver uh, via our universities or high-tech jobs. Uh, so the president had issued a pro proclamation uh, restricting student uh, visas or exchange program visas for grad students doing research. Uh, but the language says, if the research supports China's military civil fusion strategy, uh, and that's pretty broad. Uh, I would think it's, it may be kind of operationally challenging for the State Department and, and DHS to implement that and de to detect that sort of theft or, or tech transfer. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the two departments uh, carry this out um, going forward. And so the student visas are actually just be the beginning of a, of a life cycle that goes from foreign students to research work to uh, high tech work. And Despite the work restrictions that those student visa categories have, uh, the, the past administration has created what's called an optional practical training or OPT. And then that's since been expanded also under, uh, under the Obama administration. And it allows foreign students to work related, to do work related to their degree. Uh, the universities and colleges are running this OPT program and, and we know that universities and colleges have an interest in having um, international students because they pay full freight, they pay full cost, tuition and the like to go to school there. Um, and the schools have an administrative role to implement the, the visa program and their participation there. The, the, those administrators um, aren't in a position to say fight fraud or to detect tech transfers um, or information going back to China. So OPT has several issues with it. it the program needs reform, uh, including tax and welfare exemptions. Um, so the question is, will the administration be um, making changes to the OPT program going forward? And, and given the spotlight that COVID and Chinese tactics um, it, it, those have put the spotlight on this program. And so the, uh, the administration has indicated uh, wanted to do changes to the program in the past. Um, so it, now would be the time to get those um, changes over the goal line. Uh, the next step in, in this life cycle then is the H-1B program or a high-tech visa. And this is another program that, that, that needs reform. Uh, it has fraud. It needs some American worker protections. Uh, it needs to prevent intellectual property theft. 
So like OPT, the administration has also indicated it would like to make some changes to this program. Um, so the question is, will the administration be completing those, those changes now, given um, its efforts to pursue economic recovery and um, to keep China more honest? Uh, finally, in terms of the economic recovery is the issue of, of work authorization generally. And this is something that um, Dep Deputy Secretary Cuccinelli had made mention of. Um, in the past, every immigration benefit program that was issued, Congress and the executive branch would was very deliberate and considerate about whether to also issue work authorization for each of those programs. And now that doesn't seem to be the case. The default seems to be to grant uh, work authorization. And it's done very inconsistently, different terms of years, extensions are permitted. So now would be the time to take an overall look at worker off work authorization as a program and to make it more consistent and get back to the original intent. Uh, one, I will make uh, one comment regarding DACA and then I know Hans wants to make, um, will wanna make some more DACA points. Um, and that is every few months or so, we get chatter that, that staff are working on uh, a DACA deal. Um, I would strongly recommend against that uh, as Deputy Secretary Cuccinelli talked about the programs that were put in place and how hard DHS and DOD and others worked to get control over the Southwest border and control over the caravans and to get those historic numbers of cro illegal crossings down. Those hard fought programs would be severely damaged uh, and the numbers would balloon again if DACA were, if DACA recipients were issued green cards. Um, It, it, it basically, it tells future legal aliens, all you need to do is cross the border, wait, and eventually you'll get a green card. Um, so again, ill-advised, uh, but I know uh, Hans would like to talk a little bit more about that. So I'll turn it over to Hans. Great, and just so folks know, DACA is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrival. It deals with children who came here illegally uh, and, and their legal status in the United States. And I, Hans, I think the Supreme Court's also going to make a ruling on this. I'm sure you're going to address that as well. So over to you, Hans. Uh, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Laura. Um, look, immigration is really basically divided into two areas, legal immigration and illegal immigration, although there are a lot of people that want to extinguish the line between the two. I'm not going to talk a lot about legal immigration other than to say that, you know, the president has proposed that we switch from the, frankly, archaic, uh, uh, 19th, 20th century system we have now to a merit-based system for legal immigration. This is the kind of system that countries like Australia and Germany have, and we need to give serious consideration to that. But Congress is at loggerheads over that, so that's probably not going to happen anytime in the foreseeable future. The president has been trying to deal with illegal immigration. You know, uh, Ronald Reagan once said that a nation that cannot control its borders is not a nation. And that is uh, more true today than it has ever been. Um, candidate Donald Trump, I think, was in part elected because one of the things he promised to do was enforce existing immigration laws and secure the border. And once he became president, he actually began to try to enforce uh, federal immigration law as it's written. 
which is a radical departure from uh, prior administrations, including the Obama administrations. Now, almost every single policy like that that he has implemented has been challenged in the courts. And uh, the, the administration has ultimately won most of those cases uh, once they've gotten to the higher courts, particularly the Supreme Court, in large part because uh, the president has been simply following the laws, the immigration statutes passed by Congress, and exercising his discretion according to those statutes. Um, the, the administration has taken so many actions that we are, in fact, writing a paper which I think right now is up to about 70 pages, summarizing all the different things that he has done. So there's no way to cover that in the amount of time we have. So I'm just gonna talk about a couple of examples of how the president has actually exercised the authority that he does have under, under the law as, as given to him by Congress uh, to show the effectiveness of the policies that he has tried to put in place. Probably the prime example that most folks know about is in, two, in 2017, he issued a series of executive orders and a proclamation to try to improve the vetting procedures needed to assess uh, aliens who want to come into the country to see whether or not they represented a national security threat uh, to the United States. Uh, after a very extensive review by the Department of Homeland Security and the State Department that involved them looking at the vetting procedures for every single country in the world, uh, the president restricted entry from eight countries that were state sponsors of terrorism that uh, provide safe haven for terrorism or provide insufficient information for the U.S. to vet aliens who want to come in. Although even there, there were exemptions for uh, permanent resident aliens and also for uh, other aliens on a case-by-case -case <clears throat> basis. That, of course, was stopped in the courts. Uh, several courts issued nationwide injunctions, but uh, the U.S. Supreme Court ultimately dissolved those injunctions and upheld what the president was doing because there was a very specific federal statute that gives the president the ability to suspend the entry of aliens uh, when he determines that it's in the best interests of the United States. Uh, what's so interesting about this is there was this huge outcry over, over this and all these lawsuits, ultimately the administration won, and yet just recently, when the president exercised the same authority to suspend the entry of aliens in the United States to stop the spread of COVID-19, there were no complaints that he was somehow acting beyond his authority. I think that's an example of the misplaced priorities of, of individuals trying to stop uh, the president's actions. Uh, another example of the president actually trying to enforce the law is uh, the US Justice Department last year for the first time ever um, started investigating and prosec prosecuting uh, agencies that engage in what's called birth tourism. Uh, they indicted the operators of three different tourist agencies in California who basically engage in immigration fraud by uh, uh, bringing women, in, in the case of these three agencies, uh, mostly from China, to the United States on tourist visas, basically lying to uh, immigration authorities. They bring them in on tourist uh, visas with the intention of giving birth here so that they can then claim um, US citizenship. 
And what was uh, interesting about these cases was that many of the clients were actually Chinese government officials. And according to the indictment, they were directly involved, these Chinese government officials, in fraudulently procuring a birthright citizenship for their children in order to obtain, and this is a quote from the indictments, priority for jobs in the U.S. government, which obviously raises serious potential national security concerns. Now, the prosecutions are good. This is the first time it's happened in history. But in order to also deter this from happening in the future, the president this year uh, uh, changed policy the State Department so that it will no longer issue temporary uh, visas to aliens who are traveling to the United States uh, for the sole reason of wanting to give birth to a child here to, to be able to claim uh, citizenship. But even there, they put in exemptions, for example, for individuals who need to come here for uh, necessary medical treatment. All of these actions are common sense and is obviously uh, long overdue to try to prevent uh, illegal immigration uh, in the United States. Um, one action the, the uh, administration has not taken is ending um, birthright citizenship. That is based on a misinterpretation of the 14th Amendment. Uh, it's a misinterpretation that has only existed and been applied by the U.S. State Department starting around the early 1960s. Uh, it is a misinterpretation of the 14th uh, Amendment. Uh, we are one of the few countries in the world that recognizes birthright citizenship. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, one, given the language of the amendment, and second, the idea that if someone is simply a tourist in the United States or they're simply here illegally, they obviously have no political allegiance uh, to the United States and their children should not be considered uh, citizens of the United States. Uh, another change that they have made in policy, but not in the law, is uh, something that also uh, uh, was apparently opposed by many people, mostly people who believe in open borders. And that was a change in what's called the public charge rule. Um, it has been part of American immigration law since the 1880s that uh, aliens uh, who are coming here uh, should not be considered admissible if they are likely to become a public charge. A public charge means someone who's unable to support themselves and instead relies on public benefits uh, such as welfare assistance. Um, the Obama administration had a, a what I consider absurd rule in place saying that the only way you'd be considered to be a public charge is if you receive cash benefits from the government, uh, ignoring all other public assistance that individuals receive. Like I said, that made no sense whatsoever. So what this new rule does is simply a recognition of reality and it's a smart choice in the best interests of the country to ensure that new immigrants, legal immigrants, are self-sufficient individuals who will be a net plus to uh, our economy. It does not make any sense uh, to ignore the very extensive welfare benefits we have these days that include everything from medical benefits to housing to other public assistance uh, programs. Um, the DACA case, uh, which was mentioned before by uh, Laura and I, I think by uh, uh, Ken Cuccinelli, look, the only entity in the federal government that has the authority under the Constitution to determine uh, who can be in the United States legally uh, is Congress, not the President of the United States, unless 
that authority is granted to him. But one of the authorities that is not granted to the president is to uh, determine that individuals who have come into the country illegally are suddenly made legal, uh, are given an amnesty, and are provided with government benefits like work permits. Yet that is exactly what President Obama did when he started the DACA program. Um, this was a program that provided what, what amounted to an administrative amnesty for minors uh, up to the age of 16. Um, and it also provided them not just with a promise that they would not be removed from the United States, but with government benefits such as uh, a work permit. Um, President Trump ended this program uh, giving uh, a six-month lead time in order to give Congress the ability to make a determination whether they wanted to pass legislation to put in place some kind of DACA program. Congress did not do that. Uh, again, uh, the president's actions were challenged, uh, nationwide injunctions were issued, and we will we'll hear from the Supreme Court on this. I just, I have a serious problem thinking that they are not going to come to any conclusion other than uh, that one president with an executive order can certainly end uh, a program that was established by an executive order of a prior president. Executive orders are not federal law and can be withdrawn at any time by a, a president. Now, I think the nationwide injunctions that were issued had no basis in law uh, by the judges who, who issued them. Um, the president has gone through and put in all kinds of other changes to try to stop the problems that we have uh, along the border. Everything from the migrant protection protocols that uh, Ken Cuccinelli uh, mentioned to they have put in pilot programs along the border for DNA testing. Why? Well, because there are a lot of individuals who are coming in claiming to be families because of court rulings that then prevent um, families with uh, young children from being removed from the country. They've put in pilot DNA testing programs, and as is probably no surprise to anyone, I have found many individuals who uh, are, are claiming to be family members at art. They're just trying to take advantage of a loophole in, in the law. The migrant protection protocols, which require individuals to be returned to Mexico while their asylum claims are being reviewed is also smart uh, uh, smart policy and common sense, because if you look at the data put out by DHS, you find that something like 90% of asylum claims turn out to be bogus. So the, the point of all of this is that uh, the, the president has tried to actually enforce the law. Uh, he has been slowed down and stymied in many instances by lawsuits that have been filed against him uh, and against the administration. When those cases get to Supreme Court, in most cases, he has won those cases. So he actually is trying to keep his promises to enforce federal immigration law. Uh, but when it comes to closing some of the loopholes that exist in the current law, that's not going to happen until Congress acts. And at the moment, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Okay, thanks, thanks, Jim. So We're really looking forward to your research coming out. We'll share that to everybody when it is. Tons of questions, please keep them coming in. We'll get to as many as possible. I understand the secretary is still on the line. So we might as well start with the, the ones that have been mentioned most frequently. Uh, Ms. Secretary, can you update us on where's the administration going in regards to the birthright citizenship issue and uh, the DACA issue? We love the secretary. Yes, uh, so 
DACA, obviously, we're on hold awaiting the Supreme Court decision. Um, if I remember correctly, this is the longest that the Roberts Court has ever gone from oral argument to the issuance of an opinion. Um, so they're obviously waiting to drop it with the controversial ones at the end of the term, not to suggest it isn't controversial, but I agree with Hans that the it is unimaginable Uh, there could be any outcome other than upholding the president's authority to undo what his predecessor has did here quite illegally. Um, with respect to birthright citizenship, there really hasn't been any movement on that front. Um, uh, you know, given all the other balls we have in the air, uh, that this periodically comes up in discussion, but there hasn't been any concentrated work on it that I have observed and I was at USCIS before I was deputy secretary. So I was, I've been right in the thick of it. And if that was moving forward, uh, certainly I think you'd have seen more activity. Uh, more critically is that that DACA decision coming up and preparing to implement it, uh, the phase out of DACA. Uh, if That's that's our main focus right now on, on those two fronts. Right. So, so you, you cut out for a second there. So I, I don't want anybody to miss the the punchline on DACA. So right now the administration's plan is, if if they get a Supreme Court ruling that's favorable, is they're going to proceed with the, the phase out of DACA. Is that correct? Yes, Jim. That's it. And let me ask you another question from our good friend Gary Yerber down there in Texas. Asked, are there are there other reforms in the pipeline for the system? to combat uh, fraud and reduce the current workload? Yes, there are. <laughs> How They're in the middle of a process. It's a little bit dicey for me to speak publicly about them. But news uh, on this front in the coming weeks and month or two, so you'll there'll be more to look forward to, and that's outside of the executive order arena with uh, with in response to COVID and so forth. That's on its own terms, on the merits, uh, working to adjust the rules to make them much more consistent with the rule of law. And I, I have a question here from uh, Priscilla Alvarez at CNN. Uh, her question is: When does the administration plan to roll out a regulation? Barring work authorization for migrants who cross the border illegally, and who would it apply to? Lost, uh, I lost you at uh, oh, sure. work authorization for migrants. Right. So it's a the question: is, is when does the administration? Plan to roll out, roll out a regulation barring work authorizations for migrants who cross the border illegally. Well, I'm not prepared to to address it directly. Obviously, Priscilla's asking because nothing like that has been out yet. Um, but it's certainly something that would have a tremendous effect. Um, it would uh, eliminate uh, one of the biggest draws 
customers. So uh, certainly something I would be supportive of and uh, that, that that is a subject to address um, other regulations that are long overdue for cleaning up and fixing, um, including dealing with what, what people can do for work permits and who qualifies for them. Uh, those sorts of questions like the, are part of the DACA question. Um, you know, and there we were talking about six or 700,000 people all in a swipe um, with the former president pen and a phone. Well, that isn't how we do things in the Trump administration. We do them by the, by the book and we do them uh, within the boundaries of the law. And uh, having said that, there is a A lot of room for uh, a lot of opportunity to uh, advance the rule of law together, and uh, that has been very well received. It survived the massive court onslaught, and you can fully expect under this administration, right to the end of President Trump's next four and a half years, uh, to keep seeing uh, exactly this kind of aggressive application of the law to bring how we operate in our society with the laws on the books, which hasn't happened in the prior administrations, whether they were Democrat or Republican. So let me throw two more questions at you, and I'd like to bring Hans and Lori in as well. So one question is, um, there's, I'll combine them, there are a number of questions on, is there anything we can look forward to in terms of non-immigrant uh, visa reform, H-1Bs, temporary workers, et cetera? And then I'd like your thoughts on Chinese, uh, Hans and Lori to, to chime in on that one as well. So on non-immigrant visas, you saw in the president's April 22nd proclamation where he halted um, incoming green card recipients. These are, would be lawful permanent residents coming in uh, at a time when we we're in double-digit unemployment. Um, the, the president believed that was an, an appropriate first step, and he directed the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Labor to... on uh, the entire waterfront, uh, including non-immigrant visas that you ask about, James. We have an executive order, um, uh, the proclamation, technically. And uh, so we are, uh, we, you're, you're going to see some more news on that probably sometime soon. But if you look at that proclamation, it had a 60-day life. And um, you can expect that the president will decide to either extend and apply whatever additional um, uh, conditions he thinks are appropriate for the economic recovery, to Laura's point earlier, um, uh, or that we're on a good enough path. To do through an executive, an problem. You know, the 10th Amendment gives states and localities a great deal of freedom, particularly the freedom to not do things, which sounds like a funny thing to say, but the federal government cannot compel states to act. The federal government can put conditions on the money it gives states. 
And you have seen some of that happening, though frankly, um, it would have been would have been better if, if uh, we started to steer more of the grant structures in that direction, uh, I think, than, than happened. And this is the one area, the only area, where the Trump administration didn't have virtually unilateral success in the courts was with the, how grant monies targeting sanctuary cities and so forth um, played out. So at DHS, we're looking at other alternatives. Um, we are the largest law enforcement entity uh, in the country. There's more law enforcement officers in the Department of Homeland Security than in the Department of Justice uh, or in any police department around the country. Um, and uh, so this is of great interest to us. It is a direct attempt to impede our mission. And we will not be impeded, not under this Like you'll recall seeing in the news, surging 100 CBP officers to help ICE with their release so we could be sure we could repatriate them back to their home countries. Um, that has been an important part of our strategy. And, um, and of course, we already talked about the Title 42, where we're turning them around literally so fast that they don't ever get into our country. I think we have probably reached a point in the last few months, though I haven't measured it yet. I will. Uh, where we're repatriating, meaning deporting more illegals than are coming into the country. And um, I don't know how far back you've got to go previous to the last, to 2020, to find that half. Thank you. Let me let me ask Laura, and we have a few minutes left, Laura and Hans, uh, thoughts, sanctuary cities, other enforcement measures that you think are really critical, and then we'll just wrap up. So maybe brief thoughts from you guys. So I'll mention- that, that I know of and uh, sanctuary cities are trying to get in the way of that effort. And we have to solve it out into the place. Thanks, Laura. Uh, I'll mention the- That's all, that's all the, I got on that one. I'll mention real quick the, um, the most recent and kind of most egregious sanctuary situation, and that's out of the state of New York. Uh, so this, the state legislature there passed what was called a green light law prohibiting New York DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles, to share information with, in effect, Customs and Border Protection and Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Um, they, New York didn't foresee, however, running into a problem with trusted traveler programs where CBP needs DMV information to complete those trusted traveler uh, applications, as well as some other um, transportation. So New York eventually amended its law, added language to say, if you're applying for trusted traveler program, okay, this information can be shared. But then went one step further and said, not only DMV should you not share information with these law enforcement agencies, it is a felony if you do so. Um, that's just unheard of. It is dangerous. And several New York um, chiefs and law enforcement officers came out in opposition to the original version of the green light law. Uh, but now that it's a felony to share this information, it's even worse. Uh, and it returns New York to a pre-9-11 posture. Hans, last thoughts? Uh, 
think you're muted, Hans. Hans, I think you're still on mute. Still on mute. There, there we go. Sorry, I'd, I had been muted. Yeah, Look, last here's the, here's the bottom line on sanctuary policies. The mayors and uh, city council members who put these policies in act as if they've done something noble. In fact, what they're doing is putting in reckless policies that endanger their residents. Why? Because what the sanctuary policies are doing is saying that when uh, a criminal illegal alien is arrested for a local crime, rape, assault, uh, robbery, burglary, um, they are not going to notify federal officials so that when that individual, that, that illegal alien has served their local sentence, uh, uh, they're not going to call federal authorities so that person can be removed from the United States. Instead, they're going to release that criminal back into the local communities. And that means that they are endangering local residents um, by repeat criminals. And anyone who doubts that, uh, look, DHS has been putting out some very shocking reports on the crimes committed by uh, criminal aliens, particularly in places like Washington and Oregon, where the sanctuary policy is statewide, the crimes committed by those aliens who were released because of a sanctuary policy, despite the fact that DHS sent them a detainer warrant saying, please hold them until we can pick them up. And the crimes that these illegal aliens have then committed range from rape and assault to murder. And that is directly traceable to those sanctuary policies and those uh, officials in those states who said, we'd rather release these criminals back into our local communities than have them removed from the country. That is a dangerous, reckless, and frankly, stupid policy. Yeah. Well, we're gonna wrap up here. I wanna thank everybody for sticking with us to the end. That's really impressive. Uh, I wanna thank you for all your questions um, and uh, all the research that we discussed today. We'll make sure that we get that out to you. Uh, I, I think the bottom line here is, is people need to process all that has been done and all that potentially can be done and look at how the trend lines have really shifted in three years and reversed. And that's a result of actually having enforcement in immigration and border security policies. I think that's the big takeaway and lesson learned here. So let me ask Sharice, let me think, well, first of all, let me thank my panelists. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Ask Sharice to come back on and, uh, and close this out. Um, thank you guys. Great, thank you, Jim. Thank you to our speakers for your comments today and the work you do every day helping lead the conversation for us at Heritage, as well as shaping this conversation nationally. Thank you to the audience for joining us and for all of your questions. Please feel free to email me at um, charisse.trump, C-H-E-R-I-S-E dot T-R-U-M-P at heritage.org with any additional questions you uh, may have for the experts. As I mentioned earlier, please complete the brief survey that's going to appear on your screen once we turn this off. And you can also visit resourcebank.org for the recording of this, uh, this panel and upcoming programs. And I wish you all a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you.